work hard, be kind to people, and listen more than you speak. Fantastic. So welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant Podcast. I am here in wonderful Sydney with Scott Boys, who is the Senior Vice President of Operations for Pacific North for a call. What a mouthful, Scott. How it are you? It is a mouthful and great to have you here in Sydney. I'm sorry <laughs> it's not warmer for you. It's like the coldest day in history and here we are. I know, but I'm a Brit, so I'm used to it, right? Okay, so welcome home. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, honestly, this is so exciting for me because to actually be able to do a collab cast with a fellow podcaster is quite something especially half the way across the world right it's unbelievable and uh, well done to you and your podcast what a great achievement you've had to have a podcast that is so successful we're just starting out on our journey and it's great to meet fellow podcasters and see how you do it and um, thank you for sharing Oh, don't worry. We, uh, we we can geek out on podcasting <laughs> for hours and hours. Absolutely. But I'm actually more interested in your story, Scott. Oh, thank you. I am. I am. Because you've got um, a very illustrious career, a long career in hospitality, long career with a core. Um, but actually, your role has changed quite a lot over the years. The industry has changed a lot. So why don't you just give us a plotted history, Scott, around kind of where life started to for you, how you've ended up in this great role that you've got over here in Pacific? Well, thank you. My, uh, my mum and dad, working class, uh, working class um, suburbanites of Sydney. Uh, my dad, he, uh, he owned a paper shop. And my mum was a radiographer. Uh, I think you and I have talked about my heritage. My my mum's side of the family came from the UK when she was 12. Uh, her, her dad, a uh, very proud Yorkshireman, uh, was also a nurse and used his nursing career to move to Australia. And, and uh, his wife, Bessie, my grandmother, was a, a cook and, uh, and, they, and she's from the north of Scotland. So... It is very nice to hear you today and hear your accent because it does take me back to my childhood and hearing some of the broad Yorkshire accents of my maternal uh, grandparents' home. Uh, but they were working class and I, I was very lucky. My parents believed in a really good education and put me through a, a really good school here in Sydney and um, and I enjoyed school but I enjoy playing rugby more. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get to that. And, uh, and I, I started a job at McDonald's. When I was uh, when I was fourteen, and I loved McDonald's, didn't like school, loved rugby, and uh, my mum was very worried about what I was going to do after school, and she presented me with the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald and said, "You've got to open it up to page twelve or whatever," and I said, "Why?" and I opened it up, and in big bold um, writing, there was no HSC required, and I'm not sure what. You call like we call the HSC the leaving certificate. I think you call it VC. Is it VC? Oh, GCSEs. GCSEs. Yes, yes. So it was no GCSE required, <laughs> and I said, "Mum, I'm in." And it was to a hotel school. Okay. And so I finished school and went to hotel school, and um, Jeanette, I just loved it from that from that first minute that Philip Neville, our lecturer, talked about what it was to work in the hospitality industry. I was hooked. Like I, I literally felt a physical response to I, I'm home. Uh, and I flipped. So I went from being the, the party guy that loved playing rugby to the really nerdy hotel guy that loved to study all about hotels. And I've, I did well through the hotel school. I finished the hotel school and then I got my first job. And that was with a call. And that was 1994. I was a night porter at Novotel Brighton Beach. I was really a glorified cleaner, but loved every second of that. And um, I've been blessed. I've got to work in every state in Australia. I moved from from Brighton Beach to Palm Cove in Cairns, where you're going next, and then I went to 
Uh, from Palm Cove, I went to Perth, and then from Perth to Sydney, Sydney to Melbourne, uh, Melbourne back to Sydney. I did a brief stint in Japan. I did a brief stint in New Zealand. Then I went to the Barossa Valley, uh, then to Victoria, and then back to my hometown of Sydney. And, and being a, a hotelier in your hometown is uh, is super special. And um, I've been very blessed. I've had the most charmed life, and I get to work with the most incredible people. And um, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, and you've got a big operation. Just tell us about how many hotels and the kind of scale uh, that you've got under your responsibility because it is, it is really significant, isn't it, Scott? Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm responsible for 86 hotels in the northern part of Australia. I share our operations in this part of the world with Adrian Williams. So we run, we run hotel operations for Accor and the Pacific together. Um, it's around 5,000 employees, a uh, number of different owners and across, um, across many brands. And, uh, yeah, it's very, it's very enjoyable. How do you stay humble when you've got such a big job? Oh, am I humble, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're very humble. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky. I've got, uh, I've got a very real, down-to-earth, wonderful people um, in my family and um, they don't take any of my you know, my crap, and uh, nor should they. And it's all about being, in my family, it's all about being the best person you can be. Mm. And everything else that flows from that is kind of secondary. And um, my wife, I'm very lucky my wife is like that. And um, actually one of one of our, the, one of the people that started our core in Australia, his name's David Baskey, passed away uh, last year. And I asked him on, on a stage, you know, what's the, what's the biggest decision you've ever made? And he said, the biggest decision I've ever made was who I married. And that is so true. Who, who, you, who you choose to marry and, or, or if you don't marry, who, choo- who you choose to be your significant other through life uh, is super important because um, I think they're the ones that keep you grounded. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm, I'm the same. I'm here with um, my lovely Chris, um, who is like, he said he's my bag carrier. He's a lot more than my bag carrier, trust me. But um, yeah, and, and you're right. I couldn't do what I do if I didn't have the support, the love, you know, from Chris. So I, I totally get it. What's your, what's your lovely wife called, Scott? Jen. Good. Jen, what a great name. Very similar to mine. So <laughs> fantastic. Well, Jen must be a very patient lady as well, because of course you've moved around a huge amount as well, haven't you? Which takes um, a certain amount of understanding as well, because that's not easy on the family, is it, in this game? No, and, and she's been part of, like we met at school. So all of those moves that I mentioned, she's been part of that journey at every step. So my career is her career in a way. Like, And I mean, she's, she's a, a successful person in her own right. But she's been on this ride at every step. So when I'm talking about, you know, what's going on or what's next, she's got a deep understanding of it. Of it. And, uh, yeah, she lives it with me and I'm very lucky. So describe that first day when you started out in your very first job and you said you were a glorified cleaner. You were, you were, on, the, were you on the front door? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Uh, Novotel Brighton Beach and my job was to clean all the public spaces and any room service order that came through, which is a weird combination of cleaning and room service, but any room service order that came through, my job was to deliver it. So, um, yeah, I really was a glorified cleaner, but I, I love – and cleaners are the heart and soul of any hotel. Any, any hotelier will tell you that, that our cleaners are everything. Uh, and, and particularly in a post-COVID world, uh, they are um, – <laughs> they're critically important to the, the success of every hotel. Um, but I, I loved 
every second. I've, I've loved every second of every job that I've done. Um, but that was that was incredible. I, I really felt like I'd arrived and I'd I'd grown up. I was doing my first job. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, fantastic. And what advice would you give young Scott when you're looking back now, having had all the years in the industry? What advice would you give? Would you give Scott starting out? Yeah, work hard. Work hard. Be kind to people, and listen more than you speak. Mm, great advice. We're going to get lots more, lots more golden nuggets from you, Scott. I can just tell this is going to be a very, very content-rich episode. Oh, no, it's thank fan- you. That's fantastic. And listen, I mean, it's not always easy in this game either, is it? Because I always think whatever happens in a hotel, um, you know, you're creating joyful experiences for, for people a lot of the time. But there, there are often things that happen as well that are tough. You know, you can have to deal with a death or certain situations that can happen, um, which is quite difficult to deal with as well. So from, from your own perspective, can you think of a really challenging time through your career operationally that you've had to deal with certain situations or incidents or things that, you know, can happen that's not so easy and not so joyful in, in the hotel game? Yeah, I think... Regardless of incidents as such, people come to hotels with a heightened sense of emotion because they're, they're coming to a place, they either want to be there, so it's a special occasion, it's a wedding, it's an anniversary, it's a birthday, it's a, it's a joyful occasion. Even then, our emotions are heightened. You know, we've got big expectations, this is going to be the best weekend of our life. And then there are people that come to hotels that they don't want to be there. They're there for a funeral. They're there for a medical procedure that they don't want to experience. They're there to receive bad news or, or they're just missing home because they're, they're travelling with work. So I think the, the art of hotel keeping is being able to meet people at their emotion and try and make it, make it a really great place to be in spite of how they're feeling. Mm. That's an art form. And the really great hoteliers of the world, they get that and they can do that and they, they connect. At a core, we call it hardest. It's about connection at a very personal level that I'm going to meet you where you're at and, and together we're going to make this day a good one for you regardless of what's going on for you, good or bad. Um, in terms of um, bad things, yeah, bad, bad things. The, the things that you talked about then as examples, uh, yeah, they do happen in hotels. Uh, I'm not sure about the UK but in, 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 certainly in Australia – Hotels are in the top three places that someone will, go, will choose to go and, and self-harm. Uh, hotels are places where um, they can be um, places where bad things happen. Um, I think when that happens, when we've got really good people around us, um, when that happens, we, we, we go into a mode of, of just dealing with what we have to do next. We don't really overthink it too much. We just deal with what we have to do next. And at the forefront of everything that we do, we're always trying to care for people. So um, if we've got a situation that has been bad for an individual, we're just trying to get that person safe and, um, and okay, and then we move on to the next part of the, of the plan. Um, if it impacts a broader number of people, we're trying to get a collective number of people safe and okay and move on to the next part of the plan. But hotels have got to play a role in 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 um, a community response to bad things as well. And that can be just as challenging or hotels have got to play a role in, in what might happen in a location. Like I remember the roles that hotels played in the tsunami in Southeast Asia, um, the roles that hotels have played through bushfires. Like hotels are places that can um, can absolutely galvanise people in a very positive way and, and enhance a community response to things that are not 
not good. But um, I haven't really answered your question. But um, I, 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 nothing is really nothing is really bad um, because even when bad things happen, we can do good things. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? If you can connect on a human level with with anyone or any situation, and like you say, you know, I love the fact that you know we don't talk about employees; we talk about artists at a core. Um, and I've been working very closely with you know the core board, as you as you know, and with the teams. And it is a really special way of terminology of making people feel part of something very special. I think. Yes. Um, so you're right. Even when bad things or difficult situations happen if you do the best you can in the situation and you're connecting with people on a human basis, then actually I think you can you can deal with whatever needs to be dealt with in the right way, professionally and caring, um, you know, and, and actually have the customer at the heart of everything that you're doing, isn't it really, at the end of the day? And, and get the best possible outcome out of a bad situation. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. what we're here to do, really. Yeah, um, so. absolutely. So, so let's talk a little bit about the industry because yes. a lot has changed. 30 years, Scott. I know. I can you believe it? <laughs> you get less for manslaughter. <laughs> Probably less for murder, actually. <laughs> but, you know, it's been, a, it's been a fabulous career that you've had with the core. And like you say, you, you know, you've started at the bottom and you've worked your way right up to the top, which is incredible. So, you know, amazing to see, inspiring for, for lots of people that are, are listening to this or watching it on YouTube. Um, so, so, you know, when you think about the industry, how it's changed over that 30 years, what are some of the things that stand out to you around hospitality and how it's shifted over over the time yeah i think we've i mean obviously technology is a big one uh i learned how to check in using a whitney board which is a complex manual process of knowing who's in what's room and that's now been um completely transformed uh, actually we've moved to computers and now into apps and there's so many great apps out there that are just incredible um so tech tech has definitely played a role and will increasingly play a role uh, i think from the investment perspective the owners of hotels are very sophisticated and have a, a deep knowledge of hotels and hotels as a business and uh, that's that's fantastic because as an operator and as an operating company we get to collaborate with the best minds and and sophisticated owners and and good operators they just create really great outcomes uh, i think our team members are far more and so they should be far more demanding of their leaders of their leaders and leadership and have high expectations of, of the inspiration that a leader is going to provide. And they don't give their hearts easily, I think, and, th- and that's a good thing. There should be a high standard to that. Uh, I think our guests are far more discerning. They're, they're well-travelled. If I go back to the early 90s, when I started out as a night porter at, at Novotel Brighton Beach, you know, up until I was 18, I never went on a plane. You know, and, and my first plane trip was on a Fokker friendship to Norfolk Island. Um, but now, like, kids get to go all over Europe, all over all over the world, and they're just so much more worldly and, and well-travelled, and social media probably also enhances that. So our guests are more discerning as well. I think it, it, possibly everyone is just a little bit more knowledgeable, mm. and that's a good thing because it creates this then this standard that just keeps lifting as well and... and um, people like me and, and others, um, we've got a responsibility to make sure we're at the very very best of our game because everyone's expectations are that we should be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with a core, I mean, you've got such a range of, of brands, right? And, you know, right, anything from the Ibis, you know, for the Novotel where we are here to the Pullman, you know, you've got such a, such a range of brands in, in the portfolio. How do you ensure 
from an operations point of view, the, the brand values for those different brands are protected, if you like, and executed operationally because it isn't always easy, but they are different brands. And a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know of a core. But when you say, oh, yeah, a core, they own X, Y, Z, people go, oh, that's a core. Because it's more of a B2B brand, really, than a B2C brand, the holding company, isn't yes. it? But the brands themselves uh, appeal to different customer segments they have different unique selling points so operationally with that complexity there's 86 hotels you've got with different brands how the hell do you make sure that the brand values are lived and breathed as they should be well first and foremost i think at a call with our brands the the brand pillars they all make sense from a commercial customer and guest a commercial customer slash guest and team member perspective. So because they make sense, they're actually easy to implement and easy to follow. You can explain the why quite easily with our brands. You can explain why a brand is what it is and this is what we've got to do to deliver it. Then the role is to make sure that we do deliver it 100% of the time. Uh, We're only as good as every single interaction on a front desk or in the restaurant or wherever it is and making sure that we deliver on the um, the brand pillars and the brand promise. Um, so that's 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 how we do it, um, yeah. and and been disciplined about about that. We have brand audits, and we're absolutely um, we're absolutely driven by delivering the best possible brand interpretation of our brand in in the buildings that we operate them in. Mm, and of course, let's not forget, you know, we're in a massive region here, Pacific, but Accor is global. Um, you know, number one in in Asia, number one in Europe, number six in the world. Um, obviously, if it wasn't for those pesky pesky competitors over at the likes of Marriott, etc., over in the states, but you know, it's a very large organisation, and it's that consistency, isn't it? If you go and stay in a Pullman in London versus a Pullman in Sydney, you want to have that consistency of of, of message. So, how do you collaborate across the different geographies as well? I mean, obviously, I'd expect marketing probably in cen- in the centre in head office in Paris plays a key role but yeah it's just interesting how you learn from the other the other sort of geographical teams as well Scott and and I'll get to that but you raise the point of consistency in brand and for a brand like Pullman consistently consistency is super important and making sure that those things that our customers expect from a Pullman are in every Pullman but equally there's enough freedom in a brand like Pullman for a hotel to to deliver its local nuances Mm. So this Pullman that we're, we're sitting in Olympic Park now, Sydney Olympic Park, and there's a Pullman across the road, it does follow the Pullman brand standards to the T. But then it evolves to a local event precinct, into a local event precinct where it has to have freedom to be able to deliver what the customer wants when it comes for a rugby league game at, at Accor Stadium. So uh, our GMs need to be clever to navigate that um, that. Um, ecosystem of delivering the brand promise so that it does feel like a Pullman that is around that it can be anywhere in the world in London uh, in Paris uh, in Sydney Australia but also then where it can also service um, a local customer with the space that the Pullman brand allows and then we've got our collection brands which very much which very much take on the form of the building itself mm-hmm. so it's about then taking some key principles of that brand and bringing it to life in a unique building and a unique setting and very much along the luxury and lifestyle um, bent that, that customers want far more bespoke experiences. Um, so we have got the full range. If you look at our full brand of luxury and lifestyle and then our premium mid-scale economy brands, 
Um, there are there are brands that are very very specific, and there are, there are brands that are very bespoke and a lot of freedom. Um, now, how we how do we collaborate? Uh, yeah, so um, under Duncan O'Rourke, who has been a guest of your of your show, um, Jeanette, and a very good episode, uh, and a free free plug for that episode if you haven't heard it. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. As was Stephen Danes. Uh, I'll get that one in as well. Uh, we we do come together as a broader MIAPAC region, and I had the great thrill of doing that a couple of weeks ago in Singapore, and so good to get together with other operational leaders and talk about what's going on in hotel operations. But that was a broader. That was a broader executive team also that, that took into account other disciplines and to hear what was going on globally and, and then regionally across across the whole MIAPAC region uh, was really, really great and, and we got to share ideas and insights and that's going to happen regularly. And, and we, est- we established connections in that week together that um, have lasted beyond that, that week and uh, we're already talking about doing stuff. And, um, yeah, it's great. It's great to get together with like-minded individuals and share ideas and and think about how you can apply it here. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're going to be together for a few days. We're running a brave, bold, brilliant executive leadership program for you guys, which I'm really excited about. And that's something that's a great example, actually, of cascade and consistency. But actually within that, having very detailed conversations that are specific to your region as well. So I think that's a good example where, you know, we're taking a, a concept, a theme, which just happens to also be the title of my podcast, <laughs> and I'm also great deli- title delivering delivering this program. It's grown arms and legs, uh, which is fantastic. But actually, you know, yeah, you're right. That networking, you know, having a consistency of framework, but having the flexibility within that um, is what's important. I remember when I was at Tui, we used to talk a lot around, you know, think global, act local. And, I, you know, I think that is the right way um, to have that framework, but to be able to make sure that, you know, what you're applying here in Pacific is relevant for the clients and the environment and the business environment and the teams that you have here as well, because there are local laws, local legislation, certain things, opportunities, which are very specific to here, to this region. So yes. I think it's a really, really good, good point you make. So let's talk about networking a little bit, mm-hmm. um, Scott. So one of my mentors, Rob Moore, he has a great phrase, which which um, I really like and I think is very important, that your network is your net worth. Okay. Okay. So it's quite a powerful phrase. Um, where do you stand when it comes to networking and relationships? Because there's internal networking, of course. This is a very large organisation with nearly, gosh, what, quarter of a million people in the core, hardest uh, community. Um, but, of course, the industry is very... Um, I think there's, there's lots of relationships that go on outside of the organisation with other hotel groups, with local communities. So what's your approach to networking and how has it helped you over the years, would you say? Well, you know, as a, podca- as a fellow podcaster, your black book is absolutely <laughs> essential <laughs> to get guests on your podcast yeah. uh, show. So uh, I, I believe the same and I, I am very lucky. Um, 30 years in this industry, I've got a very good black book. I wish it was literally a black book, but it's not. It's a contact list in an iPad. But uh, no, I think I think uh, relationships and trusted relationships are absolutely critical. I think that um, we've come through a really difficult period for our industry, and at, in that period, relationships were everything. The ability to be able to call someone and solve any problem is a superpower. And I genuinely believe that my black book, my little contact list in my iPad, uh, I can do that. And that gives me a great deal of confidence and a great deal of capability 
every single day I come to work, I know that regardless of what is going to happen today, if I can't solve it myself, I've got someone I can that will. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. And I think, you know, I mean, we're getting to know each other a little bit over the last sort of few months, really, Scott. I guess we've been in touch and we'll get to know each other even more through through the next few uh, few days we're going to spend together. But you strike me as being a very much a values-driven person, you know, and your reputation, whenever I've mentioned your name to anyone, everyone has a resounding, you know, positive feedback about you. Well, Seriously. Thank you. It's um, quite, you know, very, very strong, actually. Um, so obviously the way that you, you know, carry yourself through those networks, those relationships, um, has clearly held you in good stead all these years. So, um, yeah, how important are, are values to you, would you say? Uh, values, are, values are super important. Um, my, yeah, I think, I think values come from experiences, don't they, and probably upbringing and who you then choose to hang around. And if I think about my family and I think about my friends and I think about um, the people I come into contact with, and I think about the people I work with. I mean, you, you've met our hardests and and you've met some of them today and they deserve really good pe- – they deserve to be led by really good people. Like they, they deserve the very best. Our guests deserve the very best um, – my family deserves the very best, so um, values are very important to me. I, I think when we talked before, Jeanette, um, you know, I, I talked about Sting and what Sting's mission in life is, and to me that just resonates just it's so strongly. Sting says, you know, I want my wife to love me and my kids to respect me, and I think that I, I, I genuinely believe that's the highest standard you can have because they see you at your very worst and at your very best. You know, we can all come to work and put on a show. Um, I don't but we can. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I kind of try and live my life to that as well. I want my kids to hear me on a phone call at work and, and be impressed. And I want, I want my wife to see what happens in a day and, and, or hear from others what happened and, and be, you know, more and more in love with me. I, like, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I think that's how I'm kind of built. Yeah, and and maybe some of that comes from, like you say, that you know, relative, you know, quite sort of working class, you know, upbringing, that that's sort of you know in your DNA, really. I guess from your parents, grandparents, that no one gives you anything for nothing. You know, be a good person, good things will come back to you. You know, don't take anything for granted. Uh, you know, I think a lot of probably your background, even though we grew up on different parts of the world, even though you've got the British <laughs> the British connection, um, I can I can see a lot of your family situation in my family situation um, yeah that's nice which is uh, i think is important right well my my my, my mum's parents so my mum when she came out here in tw- as 12 they were 12 pound poms like they were post-war europe post-war uk the world going into depression uh the only objective being that my dad uh my fa- sorry my dad my grandfather didn't did not want to go and work in the coal mines of yorkshire like him and uh, their whole view was to pack up, literally pack up their lives, come halfway around the world and start again because they wanted a better future. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I've seen how hard everyone has to work and how hard they have to work to, to get even a glimpse of an opportunity and then grab it. Uh, and that's the big lesson I'm, we're trying to talk to our boys about now. Like we've got two, two boys, a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old. Opportunities only come around... You know, very rarely they don't they don't happen all the time, and and when one does come, you've got to see it for an opportunity, and you've got to grab it, and then then move on and keep going forward, and then wait for the next opportunity, and then go again. 
um, yeah. So maybe maybe our lives are very similar and um, that's nice. It's nice that you can grow up in different parts of the world and come together on a podcast and talk about how similar our experiences are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, you're right, you know, because opportunities, they do. Sometimes you create opportunities. Sometimes you have your radar up and you attract things to you. I'm a big believer in, in you know, sort of, I suppose people probably think I'm a bit mad, a bit woo-woo-like. <laughs> but um, but I do think if you if you put yourself out in the world and you, you're a good person and you you have your eyes and your ears open and you lead with value the opportunities will come your way. The key is, which ones do you say yes to and which ones do you maybe say, mm, maybe it's not for me and let it pass by, but no one wants regrets, do you? So I always say, say yes and figure out how to do it later because you can sort all the details out, but just sometimes you just have to grab it, don't you, and figure out the rest, you know? I think so. And 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 seeing things as an opportunity, I think that's the, that's the thing we're trying to teach our kids now is that's an opportunity, what, what do you mean? That, that's an opportunity. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's doing something that makes you scared or that's doing something that plays to your strong suit. Like don't say no to that or at least think about saying no to that because that's an opportunity. And, and seeing opportunities, like this podcast is an opportunity. Like it just, it, it happened. It was an opportunity. Hey, do you want to do, do this? Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think seeing the opportunity is, is the first thing and then grabbing it as a second. Yeah, so when you're such a positive, um, you're such a positive person with such a great outlook on life, Scott. How do you bounce back when things don't go so well? Because you know, let's let's be let's be honest. Not everything is sunshine and rainbows all the time, is it? Unfortunately, life isn't like that. Business isn't like that. So, can you think of a, of a particular time when it's been really, really tough, either in the work or personal environment, where you've really had to dig deep and sort of pull yourself out of you know, sort of a less positive place, shall we say? Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky because uh, I get to work in hotels, which to me are what you find at the end of the rainbow. So if I'm ever having a really bad day or something hasn't gone my way or I'm dealing with disappointment, uh, I'm typically someone that has to do what you said. Like I, I need to bottom out and then come back myself. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not good with – I'm not good when I'm in that state of mind with getting feedback and I'm listening to inspirational things like – I'm I'm better just to process and then then move forward. And the way that I do that, I'll, I'll just go and walk around a hotel, like and and see what's going on, and see how see people on on the front desk and see people in beverages. And I go back to why I'm doing what I'm doing and who I'm doing it for, and I can move through things pretty quickly. Uh, I think that then when I'm in a when I'm in a good when I'm in a good space, that's when I take my content on. That's when I like listening to podcasts and reading. And I'm naturally inquisitive. Like I like learning stuff. I like knowing why things why things happen and, and, and for who they happen for and, and that's what I that's where I like to spend my time. Actually, Ben Crow, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but uh, I've talked about him a lot. He's, he was Ash Barty's mind coach and he says there are two secrets to life um, to, have the most, to, to lead the most successful life you can and I really subscribe to this. He says that you've got to accept that life is not fair, right? Don't, don't wrestle with that, just accept it. There are going to be things that happen that you don't want to happen and it's not fair. And the minute you can accept that something's not fair and just put it into a process of moving through it, you've, you've won. And, and you've got to get through those moments of life really quickly. The, the moments that are not fair, just get through them. Don't, don't grapple with it. Just move through it. And then, and then when you do, you've got to live your life. This is, this is point number two. You've got to live your life in a position of gratitude. When, you're, when everything is going well for you, just be grateful for it and try and stay there for as long as you can and move through the times that are not fair. Yeah. And I think that's so true. 
Yeah, fantastic. I mean, you're right with the whole gratitude piece. I I practice gratitude every single day. It's my part of my morning routine. Yeah, I do my breathing. I do three sets of breathing. And after each set, I think, what am I grateful for today? And it might be something really small or it might be something really big. But it's very hard to be pissed off and grateful at the same time. Very hard. Um, It's a good, a really great piece of advice. And it's just super simple, isn't it? Because you can quickly, you have to train your brain, right? Yeah. Yeah, you do. And I, I heard something this morning. I mean, I mean, I was in a good space this morning. I, like, how good was the sunrise this morning in Sydney, Jeanette? Like, it was Amazing. just beautiful. <laughs> and I was driving in. I was listening to a, another podcast, um, The Imperfects, which is another great podcast, and you should jump onto it, uh, Hugh Van Kylenberg. Anyway, he, he uh, had a guest on his show who is a mindfulness coach and a high-performance athlete coach. And uh, she said the struggle is never in the moment. And what that means is when you're in the moment, you know what you've got to do. It's just taking the next step forward and you never really struggle in that moment. You always struggle before or after with what you think is going to happen. Mm. And I, I, I think that's another gem. Like I'm going to try that because I, I, don't, I don't think when you're doing something tough, when you just get into that, into that mindset of I've got to do this tough thing and this is how I'm going to do it and this is the next step I'm going to take, that is very rarely as bad as what you think it is going to be before it. And if you can just try and calm things down to get to that moment, then get in the moment and get through the moment, um, it's not going to be as bad as you thought it was going to be. No, that's that's brilliant advice. I'm going to check that out. Absolutely. And so, you know, for you as a leader, Scott, you know, you talked about that your teams deserve the best. Your heartists deserve, you know, to have really authentic leaders that are going to do the best for the team, for the business, for the customer. Um, What's your leadership style? How would you describe it? I always struggle with this because I think it's not really for me to describe my style. I think it's for others. Um, okay, how would how would one of your members of your team <laughs> describe you, Scott? <laughs> I would hope. I would hope they would describe me as inspirational, as caring as empathetic as professional as someone that they would like to work for and someone they are happy entrusting their careers with yeah i might go outside and ask them (laughs) please do (laughs) tell me what they say i might do (laughs) no because it's it's not always easy leading is it you know it can be quite a lonely place and I think, you know, sometimes everyone's looking to you and they think you've got all the answers. And the reality is none of us are all, all the answers, you know. And I think, you know, things have changed a lot. You know, certainly I think when I was started my career and probably when you were starting yours, where you were a similar sort of age, um, it was almost seen as a weakness if you if you didn't have the answers. You know, I'd, I'd almost pretend that I've, I've got everything covered and I'm all sorted. Whereas I think now it's much more recognised. It's a strength to say, hey, listen... I don't quite know how we're going to do this, but we'll figure it out together. I will be here. I will have your backs. We'll make this stuff work together. But I really need help. <laughs> and yeah. I think that leadership, strength of leadership, is to show that humility, that authentic authenticity, and to you know to to not see um, those aspects of being weaknesses. I think it's changed a lot. The world. Yeah, vulnerability is a is a, is a superpower of mm. leadership, and being able to say and. I remember many calls over the last three or four years where we've said, okay, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you, what are you thinking? And how are we going to get through this? 
and um, yeah, no one's got all the answers. Um, and I think as a leader, there's something really, there's really comfortable about about being not the smartest person in the room. Like, and and knowing that you've got these amazing people, it's about bringing their ideas and thoughts and and beliefs out. And that's your role. It's a it's a facilitator of of great conversation and diversity diversification of thought and then putting that into some kind of action um yeah yeah and, and listen i mean let's talk about uh, briefly you know one of the toughest situations that we've had to navigate through the last few years in terms of global pandemic covid you know um as i say i think this is this is more of a, a, a leadership general question to be honest but when leadership is tested is at times like that that we've just gone through and it's probably been the most extreme example um i would say because it has been global and it's it's really decim- it really did decimate the travel leisure hospitality sectors significantly globally so you know how did you navigate through that firstly for the business and secondly for yourself yeah so that's a really good question for the business Really, it was about trying to – the objective was to get everybody through. That was our objective. So it was to get our team members through financially and to try and keep their families moving. It was to get our owners and investors through and it was to get those guests – and we were pretty much running either a support function for health in terms of all the health employees staying with us, military staying with us, or it was running quarantine facilities. It was to try and make the best out of a pretty ordinary set of circumstances. Once we understood that's what we were trying to do, and the struggle is never in the moment, once we understood that's what we're trying to do, it became very clear to us what we had to do. So... Um, We weren't grappling with it. We weren't worried about the future. We were just trying to run the best experience we could for those guests that were in quarantine. We were trying to run the best hotels we could for those members of of police, fire, ambulance, military, healthcare that were staying with us. We were trying to support our team members financially and uh, our company did amazing things in that regard. And we were trying to then get... Um, our owners through in terms of maximising what benefits were available to them but then also putting any kind of business that was available to them into their hotels to get them through financially. Once we understood that that was the landscape, uh, it was actually relatively straightforward then just to to execute the plan. Mm. At the same time of all of that, um, there was obviously a huge amount of um, emotional support that was going in and around our network. I'm so blessed, Jeanette, like... I've got, um, well, back then I had 50-odd uh, general managers in a community that all look after each other. They are the most incredible group of people and they very rarely get jealous of each other and my success is your success. And that, that culture was already very strong going into COVID. So having that community of general managers that then filters through to the department heads and supervisors in a hotel environment. We already had these connections that were that were beautiful. Um, so a lot of the person-to-person support 
and the peer-to-peer support was happening um, organically through COVID. So the COVID experience, and, and yes, it, 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 was, it was very hard, but I, I think it's actually also been extremely positive for us. I, I think we've got greater trust in our relationships with our team. We've got greater trust in our relationships with our owners and partners, and, and we've got a deep, a deep, deep sense of appreciation for our guests because we know, and, and this, this hotel that we're in, um, two years ago at this time the lights were off and the front doors were locked like it was empty and hotels are a soulless place when they are empty and they are full of the best things in life when they're full we we understand the value of our guests like we've we've learned so many things through COVID that will stand the test of time and will make this industry better I've got no doubt about that and I know, I know that already personally uh, personally I probably I probably did go into a mode where I was just working like 24-7 all day, every day um, and I took a lot of the responsibility of those three outcomes on myself personally. I wouldn't change that because it was in, I, I felt it's what I needed to do um, but I think I would have been a bit more deliberate in self-care through COVID. I, I let all that other stuff go. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't reading. I wasn't, I wasn't doing any of the things that fill my cup. And I got to a point, actually, I thought I'd got through it at Christmas, um, Christmas at the end of 21, but I didn't. I only really got through it at Christmas at the end of 22, where I, I did a bit of a review on my, on my life and how I was living it. And I wasn't happy with some of the things that I was doing, some of the negative behaviours that um, I was doing. Uh, and, um, and when I say negative behaviours, I just wasn't reading, I wasn't exercising and I would drink too much. Um, you know, just the lazy drinks of going home and having a beer. I didn't, I don't like that. I don't like to drink through the week and, um, I didn't like that about myself. So January 3rd, I just did a complete wholesale. Um, okay. Remove everything that's, that's bad, bringing back everything that's good. And I've really tried since January the 3rd to do that. So I haven't had a drink. I'm sticking to a, um, I'm sticking to a really strict diet. I'm training really hard and I'm reading a lot. And um, that, that to me is what I sort of didn't do through COVID. I'm trying to get that back. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? And then to actually recognise it, you know, sometimes we've got to hold a mirror up to ourselves and, and see what's going on. And it can creep up on you, I think, as well. When you're under pressure, you know, you, you might be, oh, just have a quick beer after work or, you know, just oh, just to relax. And before you know it, it's not one, it's two. And then it's every night. You know, it's very easy. It's very easy for that to happen. And, and I think it, it's, it's great that you just take stock. And I think probably a, a lot of people know suffered in the same way so you know well done you but you're right when you when you get on the on the aircraft they say put your own oxygen mask on first right yeah and that's exactly what we're talking about because if you're not in the best shape possible for Jen and your boys and you know your teams then you're not going to be able to to achieve what you want to achieve are you so it's um it's it's a good good watch out for all of us 100 percent. no thank you and well well said Absolutely. So last couple of questions, Scott, if I may. Um, I could talk to you all day. Likewise. Fabulous, fabulous studio. So excited. Um, yeah, so, you know, when, we, when you look back over your career, your personal life, all the amazing relationships you've got, can you think of the best piece of advice that you've been given or a really good piece of advice that's kind of stayed with you a long time? Well, any, any person that you care about and respect, if they take the time to give you any advice then it's good advice I, I i think so i don't i don't want to 
I don't want to highlight one particular piece of advice, but there are plenty of people that have my best interests at heart and have taken the time to share nuggets with me along the way and I, um, I deeply appreciate um, every, every single piece of it. It, it. it does absolutely help shape my life and I love, I love the podcast medium, I love audiobooks and um, there's great advice there as well. I, I, okay, I'll give you a piece of advice in reverse. My advice would be just be inquisitive and when you do get a great piece of advice, just make sure you grab hold of it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a really great perspective. You're absolutely right. And it comes back to that relationship piece, actually, doesn't it? We were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, so any, um, the converse of that is, is possibly, <laughs> it's possibly a question around bad advice, really. And, but maybe the same, maybe the same perspective, um, you know, sort of holds Scott in terms of bad advice. And it's, it's just the converse of what you've said. I don't know if there's anything that stands out for you there. Well, maybe there's no such thing as bad advice because... Any advice that's been generated has come from somewhere, whether it's a perception of you, a perception of your ability or, um, you know, someone who has a poor intention for you and, and they're trying to give you advice that steers you down the wrong path. So I'm, I'm not sure there is any such thing as bad advice. It's just advice. Mm. And um, if it comes from someone you respect and love or care for or vice versa, then um, typically I think it's good and, and maybe the reverse is true. But no, I don't, I don't think there's any such thing as bad advice. No, great. I love it. Opinions love are good. Yeah. So if someone takes the time to share an opinion, you might not agree with it, but it's still good. Yeah, it's feedback, isn't it? It is. Yeah, absolutely. Feedback is the breakfast of champions, as they say. Um, so coming to my last question, the podcast, Brave, Bold, Brilliant, Scott, and it's just so exciting to have you on the show. When you hear that, Brave, Bold, Brilliant, what does it mean to you? Yeah, well, I, I, I knew this was coming. <laughs> so I listened to your <laughs> podcast. So um, to me, brave means ready to face anything. That's what bravery means to me, uh, ready to face every, anything. Uh, bold is a willingness to take risks for me brilliant is about um, how someone sees you I, I i think you can absolutely control brave and bold i think brilliant is in the eye of the beholder oh i love that answer what a great way to finish the podcast oh my gosh scott all the way from sydney live in the studio thank you so much it has been an absolute absolute joy scott it really has thank you so much no, and thank you, Jeanette. I, I really appreciate being part of your podcast. It's a very successful podcast and I'm sure you get inundated with with uh, requests to be on your show and I'm just uh, humbled and delighted that you chose to spend 46 minutes and 39 seconds with me and, uh, yeah, it's been great to spend time with you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.